All right. Um, we as a church uh, this year have been talking about, can we get some lights up, mate? Sorry, I feel like I can't see you at all. Feels like I'm in a room talking to myself. Um, which is not a sermon, I guess. That's just a monologue. So we as a church uh, exist to connect the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause. That's what we've been talking about uh, this year. It's our mission statement. It's our vision. And, and one of the images that we've used to describe this is that of a ripple effect, right? Uh, just like if I throw a pebble into Sam Rayburn, it creates a certain amount of waves that go out. And depending on how big the pebble is, right, is depending on how far it goes out. If I chunk a big stone, right, it, it makes a bigger splash and it makes bigger waves. Uh, and that's what we've been talking about. It's the same in our lives. As the gospel impacts us deeply or shallowly, I guess, uh, that's how far the ripple effect goes out. It's true for us as individuals. It's true for us as a church. Um, but we are meant to be connected to not just Christ, but to his church and his cause. And, and the question, my dad has made that statement, and I sat there and thought, okay, that's a lot of assumption. Why? why? How? How does that happen? Um, but it's the gospel. It's the good news of salvation that does this, right? It's not just good news that we, we get saved when we get to go to heaven. No, actually, the good news is way more than that, <laughs> that we get to be a part of life in Christ. We get to be a part of life in the church, and we get to be a part of life on mission. It's not just this individual thing. And so today, we're going to look at that. Uh, one, what is the gospel? We're just going to define it really clearly, and then talk about how it connects us to uh, each one of those things, Christ, how it connects us to the church, and how it connects us to his cause. So let's start with number one. What is the gospel? If somebody came up to you and asked you that question, how would you respond? Uh, not what is gospel music, um, but what is the gospel? What do you mean when you say the gospel? Um, so we believe as a church and as Christians that the Bible teaches us that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. Um, this good news it's called the gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. It doesn't mean funky music in church, right? It means good news. And the good news is this, that even though we were rebel sinners who rightly deserved hell, God sent his son Jesus to die in our place because we were his enemies, right? A simple way to look at it, and this is how we'll talk about it, is God, man, Christ responds. Who is God, who is man, who is Christ, and what is our response? Let's start with God, and that's where everything should start. This is from Exodus 34. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, and you may be used to that when I preach. Uh, but we're going to read a lot, and you may be able to keep up faster on the screen than in your Bible. But Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Who is God? It says, The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And we would love to stop there and say, this is who God is, just a God of love and forgiveness and mercy. And he is those things. But this is how he tells us who he is. He goes on and he says, but who will by no means clear the guilty? visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So God is our good creator. 
He created us all, and he is good, right? He, he made us, and he made the world good. And because he is the creator, he has the right to tell us what to do. And in our day, I'm, I'm one of these people. I don't like being told what to do by anybody, really. I want to rail against that. No, I'll live my life how I want to. But this is a good thing that God is like this. He tells us what, what, how we should live and what is right, and this is not a bad thing. Why? Because he's God. Because he knows it all. Because he has the whole picture in mind, and we, we have this little tiny picture. But God is our good creator, and he... Uh, has the right to tell us what to do. He's not only that, what we see in this is he is righteous and he is perfect. And so, yeah, we think of God as a God of love and mercy, and he absolutely is, and we'll get to that. But before that, he is a God of justice. And when he says, this is how you should live, and we don't line up with that, because he is perfect, because he is just, he has to deal with sin. And that's what he says. He will by no means clear the guilty. Every offense has to be dealt with. Every sin has to be dealt with. So that's who God is. Yes, he is loving. Yes, he is merciful. Yes, he is full of steadfast love. But he's also righteous. He's also perfect. Now, who are we? Who is man? Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Who is man? Well, first, who are we? We were created good. God, in, in our mother's womb, unbeknownst to me how he does all of those things, how he knits together all the organs and all of that. But before anything ever marred us, we were created good. In our, in our mother's womb, we were created good. And God gave each one of us, Adam and Eve's first, he gave us the choice. He gave us the choice to follow God or not. And we to a man, what did we do? We chose rebellion. We chose to go our own way. We chose to rail against authority and say, you know what? I know what's best, even though I see this small perspective. We chose rebellion, not life in God's way. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says it this way. As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so the truth we have to deal with this morning is that to, to a man, to a woman in this room, each one of us, even though God created us good, we chose our own way. We rejected God. We thought we knew what was best. And that sin before God is a problem for us. And this, the problem is all sin against God deserves death. And that seems a little extreme to us. We think, well, does that really fit a little lie against God? But because sin is against the creator of the universe, uh, it's one thing if I sin against my wife, right? There's some consequences. Let's say I were to slap her. I don't know. I'm making this up off the fly. I shouldn't do that. There's some consequences, right? Right? But, but, but it's in accordance with the crime. If the president of the United States walked in the room and I slapped him, are the consequences greater for that? Probably so. I'm probably spending more time in prison than if I slapped my wife. 
take that up to another level with God, the creator of the universe, and any sin against him because he's infinite rightly deserves punishment. And the punishment for us is eternal separation from him is death, right? Romans 6.23 says it this way, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says the wages of sin. What's a wage? It's something we earn. It's something we rightly deserve. I work 40 hours at the church. I deserve to be paid for 40 hours at the church. Does that make sense? I rightly deserve that. And he says, the wages of our sin is death. What we rightly deserve because we are rebels against God in our sin. What we have earned, what we have worked for is not anything good. What we have earned because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God is death. You're like, Byron, you said good news, right? We're getting there. Who is God? He's perfect. He's good. He's righteous. And who are we? And we're not, right? So we got to, God has to do something about it. We can't do anything about it. So who is Christ? Number three, who is Christ? Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah or uh, the anointed one, the promised one. Who is he? Well, Jesus is both fully God and fully man. This is really important. He's fully God and fully man. Look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We talked about it in our life group this morning. Jesus' humanity. Um, it, it allows us to, to connect with him in a way. Had he just been God, had he just dealt with the problem up there in the, in the universe? Uh, I don't know, but he came. He gave up his rights to stay beside the Father, to rule over all things, and he put on human flesh because God had a plan. God had a way that he was going to fix our sin problem between us. And his plan was that his son, Jesus, would come as the suffering servant. We talked about it in Isaiah 53 this morning. So Jesus is not just fully God, fully man, but he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is our Savior. We sing about it. Look at Romans 5, verses 7 and 8. It says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps, perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus didn't die on the cross once we cleaned ourselves up, once we became uh, like worthy of his death, right? He didn't, he didn't die for us because we were his son, right? It's one thing for me to step in front of a bullet for Maddie. It's another thing for me to step in front of a bullet for an enemy of mine, right? And Jesus shows his love for us that he died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still rebels against God, choosing our own way. He loved us so much even though we were his enemies. That's the good news, right? That we don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to be perfect to come to God. Right? He took the death that we deserved and he gave us the life that he deserved. Right? We, we read it earlier. The wages of sin is death. Right? What we have rightly earned because of our rejection of God is death. 
Jesus came and he lived this perfect life. And what he had rightly earned, his wages, his wages were life. And on the cross, when he died, he took our death and he gave us his life. We call it the great exchange, right? What he deserved was life. And what we deserved was death. And he said, you know what? I'll take that death so that they can experience life. That's the good news. We don't deserve it. (laughs) What we deserve and what we've rightly earned as sinners is death. Jesus willingly traded places with us so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could be adopted into his family, so we could be made heirs along with Christ. That's the good news. That's the gospel that we base everything on as a church, as, as Christians. So that's God. We've described who he is, who we are, and what Christ has done. What about response? Does, is everyone saved just because Jesus died? No. It says uh, in Mark 1.15 what our response is. It's to repent and believe. And Jesus said this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so let's be clear here. Not everyone is saved just because Jesus died on the cross. He says what what has to happen is you have to come to this place where you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. You have to have faith that, that he died in your place and you can have life. He also uses the word, uh, he uses the word belief or faith and then also repent. And some people uh, make a big deal about which one comes first. Some people make a big deal about if you don't repent, this and that, right? And really, they're two sides of the same coin, repentance and belief. Jesus said them at the same time, repent and believe in the gospel. He says, if you can believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. One is belief, one is repentance, confession. But they're two sides of the same coin, right? If you don't really believe that God did what he did, then you won't repent. And if you try to repent and just change your life and clean it up, then you don't really believe that he died on the cross. Does that make sense? They go together, repentance and belief. Repentance is turning away from your sin, but you won't turn away from your sin unless you believe that what's behind you and where you're turning is better than where you were. Because if you believe this is better, you're going to keep going after your sin. But if you really believe Jesus died in my place to to save me from the life that I was living, then you'll turn from your sin, right? So it's belief and repentance at the same time. And the good news of the gospel is this. If you understand that and you (laughs) recognize I'm a sinner before God, I don't live my life the way God has said. And I know there's no way for me to be right with God except through Jesus. If you believe that in your heart and you confess that Jesus is Lord, not me, not anyone else, but Jesus is Lord, what does he say? You will be saved. That's the gospel. And I tried to go quick, right? We're trying to get out early today because Dad's not here, right? Isn't that the goal you know, we're after? Okay. Uh, but here, here's the deal. That's not where this whole thing ends. 
Uh, actually, the point of the sermon is that the gospel goes beyond that. It has, it has ripple effects all through our lives. It has ripple effects all through our community. It's not just this get-out-of-hell-free card that we pass out to you when, you when you get saved, right? There is no card, right? But the depth of gospel impact connects us to so much more. It connects us to Christ. It connects us to the church and to his cause. So let's look at number two, question number two. How does the gospel connect us to Christ? How does it connect us to Christ? And this one's fairly straightforward because it's really essential to the gospel. But look at John 15, 5. John 15, 5, Jesus is speaking, and here's what he says. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He's saying, I'm, I'm the stalk, I'm the main part, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So being saved is ultimately about being connected to Christ. It's about abiding in Christ. It's not just this one-time moment that, you know what, I produce some grapes. All right, I'm cutting myself off from the vine, right? He says, no, if you want to bear fruit, if you want to live a life uh, that's full of life, then you have to stay connected to the vine, right? It's about being connected to Christ. Uh, I think the imagery is maybe a little bit more clear in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. And Paul's talking about marriage here. And it might sound confusing at first, but stick with me. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You take two people and you get them married, and all of a sudden they are one flesh. And then Paul says this. He says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it, marriage, refers to Christ and the church. He says, this union between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife, becoming one flesh, yeah, there's some social benefits, yeah, there's some procreation benefits, but he says, ultimately, what that is a picture of for us is the union between Christ and the church, between Christ and his bride. Right? Becoming one flesh. Now, I didn't really care about my wedding uh, that much. I, you know, I'm a guy. Girls spend their whole lives dreaming about this thing and all the details and the flowers. And the... I didn't really have strong opinions. I had a few after, but uh, it was great. I loved our wedding. Uh, that's another story for another day. Um, but imagine this. Imagine... Uh, we, 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 we get engaged, my wife is Madison, and we get engaged, and we spend these months preparing for this wedding, and, and we get there, and we invite friends and family, and there's this big celebration, and we do the whole deal, and then we leave in separate cars, right? I go to live Huntington, she goes to live in Austin, and I don't know. We never see each other again, we never talk. Maybe we talk once a year. Is that a marriage? No, not at all, Right? He says, that's the, that's the picture here that he's saying. He says, the union between the Christ and the church is like a marriage union. It'd be foolish for me to leave my wedding in a separate car than my wife, right? And he says that about us. Being saved is not really the end point. It's the beginning point. It's, it's like the wedding, right? And it starts this union, this relationship that, that lasts forever, is intended to last forever, right? 
Christ and the church is a picture for us, and it looks like marriage because we were meant to be connected to Christ, just like I'm connected to my wife, and there's life, and there's friendship, and there's everything forever, right? Continuing on and on. You see, the good news of the gospel is not just, oh yeah, you get to get married, right? It's not just, oh yeah, you get to get out of hell. That's true, but there's so much more. There's life beyond that. There's connectedness to Christ the rest of our life. So how does the gospel connect us to Christ? It's just like that, just like a marriage. That's number two. Number three, you've probably agreed with me up to this point. I probably haven't said anything controversial, but let's go to number three. How does the gospel connect us to the church? Uh, We live in a uh, Huntington, Texas, or Lufkin, or Angelina County, and uh, we live in a culturally Christian place. Uh, If you've never been outside of this, you may not be able to see that. Uh, how culturally Christian this place is, but there are churches all over the place. And almost, you, it, it would be hard for you to run into people that did not know or have heard of who Jesus is. If you went to Brookshire's and polled, have you ever heard of Jesus? You'd probably get like 90%, 95%, right? We live in a culturally Christian place where it's common and accepted. Fran's shaking her head because she used to live in the Netherlands, and it's not that way, right? Now, Because we live in that environment, so many people have a a bad understanding of what it really means to be a Christian. They have this view that, uh, you know, me and the man upstairs have a deal worked out, right? And yeah, I don't go to church, yeah, I'm not a part of anything like that, but but me and the the guy upstairs, we got a thing, right? We've, we've, We've made our peace, or whatever people say or think in their hearts, right? That thinking is so anti-Bible. To say that I want Christ, but I don't want his church. To say that, that, that my salvation, my, my, my life with Christ is just me and him, and it has nothing to do with being a part of a community. That is anti-Bible. To say that you want Christ, but you don't want his bride. To say that you want Christ, but you don't want his body. That's like you saying, hey, I really want to get to know you, Byron, but I can't stand your wife. I got no incentive to get to know you. If you, don't, if you don't love my wife, if you don't care about my wife, we got nothing, right? And Christ, when he says, this is my body and this is my bride, for, you, for anyone to say, I want Christ and I want to get out of hell free, but I don't want anything to do with the church, is anti-Bible. There's never an example in Scripture where... Uh, you see Christians existing and thriving a separate from a community of believers. Go find it. I dare you. You can't. There's no example of it. There's no command, hey, get saved and then go live your life however you want by yourself the rest of your life. Never be a part of the church. Never be a part of the community of faith. See, the good news is not we're saved so we can be isolated and separate and do our own thing the rest of our life. The good news is that we are saved and we get connected to the body of Christ. That's part of the good news. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. and I, There's so much we could talk about here. Uh, I think you should go read the whole section in 1 Corinthians 12 from 12 to 31. We're just going to look at a couple of verses. Uh, but look at verse 12. He's going to talk about the body of Christ. Here's what he says in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Uh, Look at verse 14. 
For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And he's talking about a physical human body here, and he's comparing that to the church. So you're up. Byron Smith right here. This is one person, right? But I got lots of different members, right? Fingers and toes and hands and legs and hearts and brain and all sorts of stuff. There's many different members with many different functions, but one body. He says that's exactly what it's like uh, in the church. He says there are many different members, but one body. Look at verse 21. He says the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. My, my finger can't decide one day, you know what, I'm tired of being part of Byron Smith. I'm just going to go live my life by myself and grab things and wave my pinky in the air, right? Now, what happens to the finger if it's not connected to the body? Unless it's transplanted to another body, what happens to it? It dies. It's not connected to life. Just like if I cut a branch off of the vine, what happens? It dies, right? You have to be connected to the source of life. And Jesus is the ultimate source of life, but he's comparing us and he's saying, when we have this attitude, I don't need that. I don't need the church. I just need Christ. We've rejected so much of what God wants for us. Part of his giving us life is through being a part of the church. Verse 27, it says, Now you all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. See, Christians, we are meant to be a part of the body. And, it, and if, you, um, if you leave this body, if you uh, separate yourself and become separate from it, it doesn't just hurt you, it hurts us. right? If I were to cut my finger off or get rid of my brain or... Uh, lose a leg, right? It doesn't just hurt me, it hurts the leg, right? Because the leg serves a purpose here, right? On my body. See, being a member of the body, it connects you to life, but it also gives us life, the body. We don't just see uh, an illustration of this, we see an example in the New Testament, Acts 2. 42 is describing the early church, what they were like, what that first body of Christ looked like. And here's what it says. It's describing them things that they were devoted to. Verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. These were the four things that kind of defined who they were, what they were devoted to, not kind of casually part of what they were devoted to. Uh, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, God's word. They were devoted to the fellowship. That's the community, the belonging to one another, the helping one another, encouraging one another, supporting one another. They were devoted to that. They weren't just casually a part of that. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, probably the Lord's Supper, maybe also meals, and the prayers. Those were the four things that defined them. And if you ask most Christians at Brookshire's or people in our community at Brookshire's, do you have to be a part of a church? They'd probably go, no, not at all, right? But what is so clear to me, not just by illustration, not just by example, but also command in the scripture, is that we were meant to be connected to the body. And when we're not, we suffer and the body suffers. There's, there's explicit commands. Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. <laughs> not neglecting to meet together, which is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So here's, here's I think, the point, is you need the body, and the body needs you, right? You were meant to be connected to the body because you are part of that, encouraging one another, stirring us up to love and good deeds. You serve a purpose in this body that I can't feel. And I may be the mouth today, but... A mouth does no good by itself if there's no hands, if there's no brain, if there's no feet, if there's no... You see what I'm saying, right? You need the body, and the body needs you. We were meant for each other, and there is no example in Scripture where we get the option of, you know what, I'm going to have a relationship with God, but I don't want anything to do with his bride. I don't want anything to do with his body. Right? We need you, and you need us. We need to be connected to the church. So you may not agree with me on some of that, and that's okay. But I want to look at last. How does the gospel connect us to Christ's cause? Remember the ripple effect? That the deeper the impact is at the center, the greater the impact is out at the edges. How does the gospel connect us to Christ's cause? Well, what is Christ's cause first? Look at Mark uh, 16, 15. Mark says this, And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is Christ's cause. Uh, it's, not, it's not just good works. It's not just being nice to the world. It's not just uh, anything else. It's proclaiming this gospel, this good news that you can trade places. You don't have to have death. You can have life. Right, proclaiming the gospel to the whole creation to extend the ripple effect as it impacts us right here at the center that, that we would go, go out and share the gospel to the world. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think this does a great job of explaining what he's talking about. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 through 21. It says, Therefore... By the way, this is my last scripture. So if you're like, wow, how many is he going to read today? Well, here we go. Last one. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of somebody believing the gospel. They're turned into something totally new. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So let's talk about that $5 word, reconcile. What does it mean to be reconciled? It means to fix a relationship, right? It means that there was separation, there was enmity, there was a distance between two people, two parties. And to be reconciled is to turn back to one another and be restored in relationship. And so he uses this picture that this is what the gospel is. This is what God has done for us. We were separated from God and we, were turned, we had our backs turned to him. And Christ, when he died on the cross and made peace, he reconciled us back together so that we could have relationship, right? Praise God, right? We don't have to be enemies of God. We can be friends and family, right? But what he says is we don't just get reconciled and then, all right, cool, let's live our life. He says he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
the ministry of reconciliation is to go and help other people who have an estranged relationship with their Father in heaven be restored in relationship to Him. Does that make sense? We're not just reconciled for our own benefit, for our own pleasure, for our own get-out-of-hell-free card. No, what he says is, you were reconciled so you can go help reconcile. You were saved so you can go help save. You were given grace so you can go extend grace. You were given mercy so you can go extend mercy. Look at 19, 2 Corinthians 5. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see it again. He reconciled us to him so that we can go reconcile others, so we can go help others restore and fix their relationship with God. Verse 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador? It's someone who goes to enemy territory to speak on behalf of the king, right? To speak on behalf of the people that sent him. And he says, now that you are saved, now that you are new, you are an ambassador for Christ. You've been placed in enemy territory so that you can speak on behalf of the king, so that you can proclaim the, the message that the king has sent you there for, right? To, to represent the interest of the king who sent you there, right? We've been placed in Huntington, Texas, all of us, for this purpose, to be here to share the message of good news to our community. And the good news is this, verse 21. For our sake, he made him, sorry, let's fill in not pronouns. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So this this makes it so clear that we're not just saved for our own benefit. We are meant to be connected to his cause. Uh, this, this is so clear throughout all of scripture. Uh, we could look at a lot of other examples. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, he talks about the comfort that we've been given. We're, God, God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Uh, in Matthew 18, he talks about forgiveness. And the forgiveness that we receive from God is meant to be expressed in forgiveness of others, right? There's, there's meant to be this uh, continuity, right? The way we've been treated is the way we treat others. And so when we, don't, when we don't share the message of the gospel, all it really does is show us that we have not been deeply impacted by it, right? When we don't extend forgiveness and love, it means that we haven't really felt forgive, forgiven and loved. And so here's the truth, the final truth today. The measure that we have received and experienced the gospel is the measure that we will go and share that gospel. That's the ripple effect. If I drop a pebble in the water, it's got a little bit of waves, and then it dies down. If we drop a big old boulder in the water, there's huge waves, and it reaches far, right? If the gospel doesn't impact us as individuals deeply, then we will not have an impact on our community. We won't reach the eight to 10,000 that call Huntington home. We won't relationally connect with them to share the gospel with them. And so that really is the challenge today. God has created us for this, to be connected to Christ, 
to be connected to his church and be connected to his cause so that we can go help connect those who are disconnected from that. The ones who are separated from God, the ones who are lost without hope, the ones who are dead in their sin, right? That is our mission, that is our purpose as a church, as individuals. As we close, I want to invite Shane uh, and the worship team to come lead us. Uh, and I want, us to, I want you to take just a minute, um, wherever you're at, to think about uh, the gospel's impact on your life. Uh, if you would, stand with us. Um, the truth of all this is, is that we will only have as much impact in our community as, as the gospel has impacted us personally. And, and we all have degrees of disconnectedness from God, from church, from his cause, from his mission. Um, so I want you to think about that in your own life today. Where is it that I am disconnected from God, disconnected from his church, disconnected from his cause? Um, so bow your heads with me. Let me pray for us. God, I, I pray that my jumble of words uh, has meant something today. God, I pray that... Um, more than anything, God, that the gospel would impact us. The good news that God, we were rebels, God, who hated you and, and lived our own way, God, but you sent your son to die in our place. God, we didn't deserve that, God. May that good news transform us and change us. God, may it impact us so deeply that we want to see others experience that new life in Christ, that we want to see others find hope and find purpose and find grace, God. God, I pray that we wouldn't uh, sit on our hands and, and close our mouths, God. God, may the gospel impact us so much that we would go and live and love, God, and share the good news that you have entrusted us with, God. God, you want to use our lives to impact the eight to 10,000 that, that live here in Huntington, Texas, God. God, may this church not just be known as a place where um, I don't know, a bunch of Christians meet every week, God, but may these people be known as those who care about our neighbors, who care about our community, God, and want to see them found, God. God, be with us today, God, as we, as we respond to this message in whatever way that is, whether it's in our pews, whether it's coming forward, whatever, God, I pray that you would be with us, um, God, and let us be obedient to what you're calling us to, God. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.